think about, and I do this twice a year, I want to talk about our vision, our vision of our church, and it's all based in scripture. It's not something that was just dreamed up or thought up, good philosophy, but, and I, I should add that I know that there was, this church spent several years from 2006 to 2008 going through a pretty in-depth process to retool and refit uh, the purpose of our church. So I want to bring these out because we got new people in our church that maybe we haven't heard the vision statement in depth, but also to remind us, because I truly believe, as one pastor said, vision leaks. And I've been a part of organizations where it's all on paper, but they don't practice those things anymore. And I want to assure you that we do, but also to remind us. So our scripture reading is from Proverbs 29:18. First of all, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, this is the title of our sermon today, God wants to make new things in our life. It says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow for prayer as we commit this time to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'll take these words and uh, the scriptures that are shared. I'm just merely the messenger. I pray that you will open hearts, open lives, convict us, challenge us, bless us, encourage us, whatever we may need today as we uh, go through this message, and that we will leave here more committed to uh, serving you through our church and being a part of our church family today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, <clears throat> we've got the beginning of a new year in front of us, and just some of the things that are just, they're coming up here. Ministry team leaders meeting, we're going to meet February 3rd due to my surgery, so you'll be seeing that date come up. Finance team will be meeting the first week of February to begin the process of our new budget for April 1st. Uh, the worship, uh, we've put together a team that just was solidified just this morning of people to look for a part-time worship leader. We appreciate Nick being the interim. He's doing a great job. But our goal and their goal is to uh, find a new part-time worship leader, and so that's something we're working on. And also we'll have church membership coming up in February. And um, so if you have any needs in the next couple of weeks, I will not be here for at least two, maybe three weeks. We don't know. See how much a wimp I am with the pain, right? And, uh, but uh, see the elders and talk to Carrie if you have any needs because my wife is taking my phone away. So just want you to know that. <clears throat> Some of you are clapping. There you go. <laughs> So as we talk about our vision today, God is in the business of making things new. In the Psalms, the psalmist says repeatedly that God has given him a new song. One of those is Psalm 
98 verse 1. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which we unpacked last week in our message, says when we come to faith in Christ, receive his gift of salvation, we're becoming new creatures or creations in Christ. We have a new self when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit. That new self comes in to combat the old nature of sin that's within us, according to Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, we're told that we are ministers of a new covenant. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul said, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In 1 Corinthians 11.25, Paul quotes Jesus saying at the Last Supper that the new covenant was in his blood, meaning that he shed his blood, as we just talked about in our communion time, shed his blood on the cross to pay for our sins, to redeem us, and to put away the old ways of the law and move us into the law of Christ, the new covenant characterized by grace. So as we embark on a new and a blank calendar of 2024, God wants to do a new thing in us, and a new thing through us to grow us in Christ and to share God's grace with others through serving and sharing of our faith. What does God want to do that is new in your life in 2024? Well, we're going to begin with a purpose statement from our church uh, vision statement. Our, our, uh, we, we call them our uh, Pleasant View Baptist Church statements and core values. We're going to look at that and uh, see where we fit in with God's priorities and plans in and through this local church. Our purpose for the message is every Christ follower is a disciple of Christ must be committed to carrying out urgently the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, and then the great commission, which is to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, as we talk about at the end of our services, and provide us a daily opportunity to do that in the context of a local church. So our first point is this, bigger than Sunday, bigger than Sunday. What is our vision to be lived out in our lives and community? And why do I say bigger than Sunday? It's not just good enough to show up here in corporate worship, which is really important and we're going to emphasize in a moment, but also to, to carry your Christian faith outside these walls and to share in the community what is going on and even our vision to be lived out in our lives and community. So if you have that paper with our uh, statements and core values, the purpose statement at Pleasant View Baptist Church, we believe according to God's word, our purpose in life is to worship and glorify God and to share the good news of God's love in Christ Jesus with the world beginning with the people of our community. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will seek to lead people to conversion, baptism, and a maturing relationship with Jesus Christ through worship, outreach, discipleship, fellowship, and service. So we do this in our church by encouraging people to corporately grow together by being involved in worship at church, by being involved in either connect groups or men and women groups or men's breakfast where we gather for small groups and Sunday school for the kids and then serving passionately in our church where we can use our spiritual gifts. Our vision statement on that paper, Pleasant View Baptist Church is a multi-generational family of believers in Jesus Christ seeking to connect others to God and his family 
striving to grow spiritually and relationally and finding our places of serving God in his church, in our communities, and in the world. So connecting people with God and his family, growing spiritually and relationally, serving God in his church, in our communities, and in the world. And so three words to just remember our vision is connect, grow, and serve. Connect, grow, and serve. So what are we committed to when it comes to our church family? You can fill that blank and committed in your outline. What are we committed to when it comes to our church family? Well, I have some concerns for our church family to pray about and consider. Uh, One of the things I think that um, when I became pastor was shared with me, and I think we still struggle with at times, is the trust support behind the spiritual leadership of the church. I'm talking about when leaders come up with a way to kind of flesh out the vision that we're talking about today, and there's been challenges to that vision from the leaders over the years. I think honest questions are good. We had somebody uh, share at one of our previous business meetings about passing the offering plate, and we are doing that. It was a great suggestion, and we can see benefits from that. So honest questions are good. Challenge to the leaders. Thinking is healthy. Disagreement on priorities is okay, but when decisions are made by the church family and leaders, the decision leaders are not always supported. And so, in general, leadership should be supported unless the leaders are involved in sin or teaching false doctrine. Another concern is that some of us have looked too long and hard with the thought that I just need to make it here on Sunday and that we gather for worship and that's enough. Now, I understand that personal devotions are to be the priority for a Christian to feed on, for him or herself to grow. I know there's so much spiritual material out there on the internet and various places to watch and read. I do a lot of that myself. But the number two priority after having a habit of reading God's word and praying individually is a commitment to be here on Sunday mornings. Live stream is good. But being in person, rubbing shoulders and sharing with one another is priceless. It's necessary to fellowship with other believers and get their perspective on things. It's important to be with those who uh, have shared values in their Christian walk as well. Because on Sunday we come, we get our spiritual batteries charged, and then we go out into the world for the week. Where Satan and all kinds of man's thoughts and temptations come at us. And we need a place to come back and refuel and be with God's people. So I think it's necessary. It's necessary to fellowship with one another. And Sunday morning's just the start. We need our Christian walk to be bigger than Sunday and impact the community and the spheres of influence that you have of people around you. We need to invite people to Sunday morning and not just be satisfied to get ourselves here. Some in this room need to make a commitment to be here more Sundays than they have in the past. During the Christmas season, I had somebody who's been attending here for just a little more than a year. And they came up and they said, well, I'm sorry, I missed a Sunday because I had to work. They've been here every week since they started attending. I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive uh, that they were sad that they missed one of those Sundays. So I want to look at our core values on that paper. What are our core values? What are we committed to? These are well-written well thought out. Number one, we believe in gathering together for worship. We believe the integrity of our individual lives is shown in biblical principles and our personal commitment and accountability to God. 
We believe in the discipleship and the equipping of every believer. We believe in the discipleship of children and youth. Number five, we believe in holding to biblically sound teaching, preaching, and authority. And I love where it says in our individual as well as our corporate lives. Number six, we believe in encouraging and providing opportunities for individual and corporate prayer. We believe in being a church family that shows love and concern for others in our words and our actions. And lastly, we believe in supporting mission work financially and with personal involvement. So we need to keep this sheet in our Bible or our prayer journal throughout the year and pull it out and remind ourselves periodically what is our vision. This is what the elders filter uh, many decisions through along with the Word of God. And I can sit here and tell you for an hour of decisions that we have wrestled with and we went through this and we did or didn't do because this is what our vision statement says. So the basics for our Christ follower, a disciple, is to do personal devotions, gather with fellow believers on Sunday, grow, be in community, and be accountable by participating in a small group and using spiritual gifts and talents and serving through one of the ministries of the church. I believe that's the only way that you can be balanced in your spiritual growth and being a disciple for Christ. Connect with God and his people. Sunday corporate worship, grow in a deeper relationship with God. That's why we have connect group. That's why we have men's group. That's why we have women's group to gather, to share prayer requests, to share what's going on in our lives, to be able to discuss the word together. And then, but in there, we also get accountability for one another. And the world does not like accountability. Even some Christians don't, but we need accountability. In Romans 14, 7 through 8, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So remember, we need each other. Ecclesiastes 4 gives us a great picture of that. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, if there's two people, how come there's a threefold cord? Well, Matthew 18 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You, two people together with being in Christ, have Christ with you. And that's why it's so important for accountability and to be together in community. You see, we're lonely. We're lonely in our world. We don't know our neighbor. We don't know each other well in our church either. The percentage of Americans with church membership in 1990 was 68%. In 2020, it's 47%. Percentage of Americans who talked to their neighbors in 2008, 71%. In 2017, 54% talked to their neighbors. A book written by Robert D. Putnam called Bowling Alone in 2000, he wrote that book. He argues that civic life is collapsing that Americans aren't joining, as they once did, the groups and clubs that promote trust and cooperation. 
This undermines democracy. He says, we are bowling alone. Since 1980, bowling leagues have dropped 40% by the year 2000. There's a woman in 2012 named Sarah Harmeyer. She quit her job as a charity and fundraising uh, organizer at St. Jude Hospital in Dallas, Texas. She has found that the happiest year of her life was when she worked at the Red Porch Cafe, a restaurant that she created out of her own home. She said there was something about gathering people, the food being connected. She envisioned inviting neighbors to her backyard for a meal, and her, he asked, she asked her father to construct a table that would hold 20 people. Using the next door website, she invited 300 people, and 90 of her neighbors walked down her driveway into her backyard. She was absolutely blown away. I realized that night as people kept coming down the driveway that people just want to be invited. Over the last six years, she's hosted more than 3,000 people. She now runs what's known as Neighbor's Table full-time and has placed tables in 28 states. Her goal is to reach 50 states. She delivers the Western Red Cedar Tables herself to families, as well as businesses and churches, and they cost up to $1,700 and more. She's often there for the first meal and gets to know her customers. Most people getting our tables want to be part of what we're doing and want to be part of something bigger than themselves. She went on to tell a magazine interviewer 2,000 years ago, Jesus invited us to love our neighbors, and that for sure is what drives me. The world is a little crazy right now. We could use more love in our interactions, and a lot of people need to feel included and seen. It says, and it's hard, my neighbors are not like me, but there are ways we can connect, and the table is a beautiful, natural place to do that. When you're sitting at a table, you feel like you're part of something big, end of quote. So we need community. We need accountability with one another. Connect, grow, serve. Serve God in our church community and our world. Using our time, our talents, our finances, our spiritual gifts, and volunteering and serving in the church. And we make Sunday morning a commitment to our daily schedule. We need to do that. But then we also need to add to it, not only being involved in a connect group or men's and women's group, but in our teens and Sunday school and youth group, but we need also to serve. And it goes beyond those connections. We learn more about others and we learn more about our Christian walk when we serve other people. So our application is this. What new opportunity, I want to challenge you today, what new opportunity will you get involved with here at the church? We have needs. For children's church, we have need for an Awana game leader. We have opportunities for leadership. What new opportunity will you get involved with here at the church? Will you make your walk as a disciple bigger than Sunday by how you live Monday through Saturday, how you interact with people seeking spiritual conversations, being involved in a ministry? The next important thing to remember that God wants to remind us of and make new in our lives is this, get off of the list of post-Christian communities. Get off of the list of post-Christian communities. So I had an opportunity to go to Kenya with uh, Derek Armstrong, pastor at uh, Bridge Cities Church, formerly known as Bettendorf Christian Church. They just recently changed their name. And he shared with me this information because we're involved in a thing called Coalition of the Willing with them and a couple churches to try to impact 
the Quad City region uh, to bring more people to faith in Christ. And we'll be talking more about that in February because I've had a couple meetings with area pastors and Derek with us. But he shared this information with me, and so you can look to the screen. I'm a numbers guru. I like to crunch numbers, but it also represents people. Our target QCA churches has a total population of 303,614 people. There's 262 churches, and I don't want to take the time to list the 17 communities that make up that region. We are number 15 on Barna's list of post-Christian churches in America. Think about that. That's pretty high for being in the Midwest. 52% of our community is post-Christian. So 48% are churched. 145,734 people go to church, and 157,000 plus are post-Christian. So if all the church crowds showed up on a Sunday morning, all the churches would have to be able to hold 558 people each. The Pew Research says in America, the average Protestant and Catholic who attend church each Sunday in our region is 48%. So the average church attendance in the Quad Cities list we have compiled is 268 per week. So that means 70,200 plus people attend church each week in the Quad Cities. That's 22% of of the people in the area. And that basically means that every 10 people you encounter, only two of them go to any kind of church. Now, just because someone attends a church doesn't make them a Christian, but it does give us a clearer picture of our position as the church in our immediate culture. Now, get these statistics. 31% or lower of post-Christian culture would get us off the Barnas 2019 list. That means we'd have to go 21 percentage points down in order to do that. To get off the list, you would need to see 63,000 plus to become believers in Christ. With only 262 churches, there would need to be an average of 800 people per church to see the Quad Cities get off the Barna list. That's 233,398 people currently are not in church. And this is what statistic really gripped my heart. To move your heart and give us a sense of urgency, we need to understand and keep in front of us that in the Quad Cities every year, 5,242 people pass away. But using the 52% post-Christian data as a baseline, that's 2,726 people or seven people a day that die and go to a Christless eternity. Think about that. So as you read the obituaries, Seven of those people a day are going to a place separated from Christ to hell. So here is what we need to do. Number one, we need to practice our faith story. We need to, in a concise way, be able to share how, what our life was like before Christ, how we came to Christ, and how Christ has changed and transformed our lives. And we need to be able to put that into a three or four minute presentation when we talk to people. Something worth writing down and practicing. And then tell your faith story to other people. And then invite people to hear the faith story. If you don't feel comfortable, invite them to something here where they'll hear the gospel. But we need to really understand seven people per day go into Christless eternity in our community. 
William Temple said this, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. We're here to reach out beyond these walls and to reach those people. And obviously, we share the gospel. It's up to them to make that decision, but we haven't given them the opportunity. I've had people tell me here years ago when I came here uh, not to worry about how many people come to our church. We're just going to be a small church. And while I'm not a numbers person, each number is a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere, and I want to change the landscape of heaven. I want to make sure that make it hard for people in Scott County to go to hell. I want them to hear the gospel. And I've had people in this church family tell me about someone they knew that they didn't think they could invite because they weren't, quote, church kind of people, end of quote. I want to remember, we're op- want you to remember, we're operating a hospital with an emergency unit here, not a cruise ship for elite people. We want to take in those who are lost and hungry and looking for help physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. That's why Celebrate Recovery is so great for our church. That's why Awana and Youth Group are so great for our church. So here's the application. Who will you focus on that you can lead to Christ to knock the number down to six instead of seven people in our community dying every day without Christ? What can you do on your part to make a difference, to share with others, to make it a priority? The third thing we see today is obedience-based discipleship, which involves a balanced commitment to evangelism and discipleship. As I've been able to travel to Mexico, to Brazil, to Kenya, other parts of the world, they seem to get this idea that when you read the Bible and God shows you something to do, you go out and do it. We here in America, we tend to look at discipleship as knowledge-based, not obedience-based. And we need to change that mindset in our church and in our Christian culture around us. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, if you would. I'll give you a minute. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the very early church, shortly after Pentecost, meeting in houses. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. It gives us the, the template, the blueprint of what the church should be about. In Acts 2, 42, and they, the early disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We need to be careful as a church that we're not just focused on the brain giving good and powerful knowledge. Our teaching and giving of Bible knowledge always must include personalized action steps to consider how to process this information and use it in our lives. That's why you see at the bottom of these messages three questions to ponder during the week for you to think about, for you to apply and personalize the message. 
And that's why when you read the Bible for your personal devotions, you should be asking God, what's the one takeaway that I can go out and obey and, and uh, live out this day or this week as I read your word? You see, knowledge puffs up as we read in 1 Corinthians 8 and 13, but love is the most important thing. And love is something that you show. Love is a verb. It is an action. So let's follow the pattern of that infant church. You see there in verse 42, the apostles' teaching. Study the word together. Fellowship. Community. Iron sharpens iron. Breaking of bread. That's communion around the Lord's table. Praying for one another. All things to be better disciples and spur one another on to good works as we meet together. So we see the pattern here, hearing the word of God, <clears throat> excuse me, hearing the word of God, growing in the word, and then acting on the word. That's the way discipleship works. That's how we're supposed to do it. And so we as elders want to be more intentional about studying doctrine to give all of our church family a healthy, balanced view of God kind of a systematic theology to avoid the pitfalls of rabbit trails and overemphasis of one doctrine over another. We're still in the formative stages of this. We're talking about incorporating some systematic theology maybe in the fall and doing some electives in our connect groups. Personal discipleship, one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, discipleship is vital as well. So here's the application. What's one thing God is telling you to be obedient do in this new year? What is he telling you to do to be obedient in? Maybe it's something you've been wrestling with for a while. You're going to make a commitment. Maybe take two steps forward and one back as you try to obey God, but you're going to make an attempt to do that. And lastly, we need to celebrate the wins. Celebrate the wins. One Christian pastor said that what you, what you celebrate continually, people in your church will do, and I firmly believe that. We celebrate, celebrate recovery by having a, a Sunday in October where they can come and share the victories going on in their personal lives. We celebrate at Awana by giving kids uh, patches and rewards. And then we have the Awana store, and then at the end of the year, an award night for memorizing and studying God's word. We celebrate the faithful workers in our church's ministry. We celebrate the money given and the work done to remodel our worship center and soon to be our lobby. The powerful influence that we have in our community, we celebrate. We're a small church with big ideas and a community mindset. That is huge. So what do you want to be able to celebrate during this year and at the end of 2024? Well, to be able to know what to celebrate at the end, you have to do several things. Create measurable goals, first of all, in your life. Create a weekly plan to go after your goals. Set the big goal and then go back and say, what do I need to do each week to get to that goal? And track and be accountable for your measurable goals. I want to close here today very quickly with uh, to celebrate what someone in our church just experienced, Dale Von Toon, who's experiencing cancer, not able to be here because his immune system is pretty weak, but he shared an email with uh, the uh, men's group <clears throat> the other day 
and I got permission to share some of this with you. He said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, I got out of bed Tuesday feeling pretty refreshed at 4.30 in the morning. This is very rare, once every six months rare. I showered up, started coffee, and built a fire. At 5.45, his phone rang. He looked at the screen. It was an unrecognized phone number. It's rare, like once a year, that I would answer a call from an unknown number. But I answered it as I warmed myself by the fire. I said, good morning, this is Dale. The caller was a guy who I would consider an acquaintance at best. He said, hello, Dale, this is Ross. Sorry to have called you so early. Many thoughts are running through my brain at this point, like, is this really Ross? Because I haven't heard from him in five years. <clears throat> Vanessa and I got to know Ross and his wife Janet at a campground called Spook Cave. We would maybe have an accumulated time together of five hours, good folks, and about 10 years older than Vanessa and I, and we hadn't spoken together for five years other than Janet as a Facebook friend. Well, he said, I found out Ross and Janet were diagnosed with COVID on December 23rd. They were both hospitalized. They both were, went home on December 28th, and Ross was readmitted on the 31st. The conversation turned to matters of faith. During our conversation, I shared a little about my cancer journey, and I shared how even though I could not see heaven, I knew heaven was real. Ross said, how can you be so sure? Well, there's an opening I'm not going to pass up after all. Ross called me, so I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to speak. So we went over Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, that I quote, just happened, end of quote, to choose to memorize during my last hospitalization. We went down the Romans road together that I memorized in Awana, also Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By now the nurses started to work on Ross. We closed our conversation together by me asking Ross if we could pray together, and I asked Ross to open and I would close. We didn't pray the sinner's prayer. It was my impression that Ross just needed a little confidence boost. We went over the scriptures thoroughly, and Ross knew many of the Bible verses I shared with him. I trust you're blessed by hearing this testimony. I shared it for you with, for God's glory and for our encouragement and good. You can also see that there's some prayer requests in there for Ross and his wife. God bless you, Dale Von Toon. I celebrate that because here's someone who's out there going through some very difficult times, sharing his faith, looking at it as an opportunity, as a platform for ministry. So here's our application. I'm going to skip these next two verses behind you and go to the application. What is one new thing you're trusting God to show up and do in your life in 2024? What's one new thing? I hope and trust that you can make some new and fresh commitments concerning our church and the vision our church has from Scripture. Our key thought is this, that we believe the local Bible-believing church is the hope of the world. I truly believe that. How committed are we to its vision and purpose to evangelize and disciple ourselves and others who are facing a Christless eternity? That's the challenge for us today. So as we go to prayer, maybe some of you here in this room need to make a new and fresher commitment to be here on Sunday mornings on a more regular basis. Some of you may need to make a commitment to be a part of the connect group or the men's and women's group because we need to build community and accountability and prayer and, and time together. Some may need to make a fresh commitment to serve. As I mentioned, we need an Awana game leader. We need help with Sunday morning downstairs for the kids and other things. 
this is the opportunity for you to make some fresh commitments and uh, make them before the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this church. Lord, as we think about tomorrow, January 8th, the birthday of our church, our church will have been here 56 years faithfully preaching the word of God. Thank you for every pastor that's been at this pulpit from Mel Dirksen down to me today. Thank you for the history of these men who faithfully preached your word. And we pray that you'll continue to help us to be strong in the future days as well, to continue that legacy. But Lord, help us. Help us to renew our commitment to our church here, to be in fellowship on Sunday mornings, to be discipled by being together at one of these opportunities that we have throughout the week, that we can serve by using our spiritual gifts, our talents, our finances to better be equipping others and growing in our walk as we share our faith and what we've learned as well. Lead us, guide us, and direct us in these new commitments for 2024. Each one of us individually have unique ones. Pray we could write these down and look back in December of this year to see what you have done in our hearts and lives through these commitments. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.